In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. The Lord be with you. This morning we proclaim the good news that in the midst of a world that either attacks or avoids those they disagree with, Christ's reign is love. Your inheritance as his people is a kingdom that is beyond enemies. You are empowered to confront injustice without dehumanizing the other. You have no enemies, church. Well, Thanksgiving's coming up this week. So a lot of us have appointments with family members that we maybe don't spend a lot of time across the table with naturally, or maybe we do. And so at times this can be a point of tension for people to be coming up to the holidays, knowing that you're going to be sitting across the table from grandma and grandpa, aunts and uncles. Uh, this is a, an especially volatile time potentially with all the impeachment hearings and the democratic debates going on. We are entering into an election year. And so... Don't talk about politics, no matter what you do. Well, I, I don't subscribe to that theory that you can't talk about politics with family. Uh, and so, just as kind of a primer for Thanksgiving, this past week at our family dinner, I decided to try out some Thanksgiving jokes to kind of break the ice, see how they go over, and see which ones I want to pull out on the big day. So, my family gets together once a week for family dinner, <laughs> and uh, just the siblings and their spouses, and then my parents. But this past week, on Tuesday, my grandma and grandpa from my mom's side were there. They were only there because it was my grandma's birthday. So it's a special occasion. Grandma's there specifically to celebrate her birthday. And uh, like I said, I wanted to try out some political jokes. It seemed like a good idea. Uh, and my dad made it really easy because he was announcing what we were having for dinner, and he said, well, we, we have two options. We're having chili, but we have two options. You can have either regular chili over here or you can have white chicken chili. And so me, uh, being absurd, decided that the white chicken chili was an obvious uh, inroad for some kind of Trump-supporting joke. Well, <laughs> I'm not sure what the original intention was of me making this joke. I guess it was just to try to humor myself or maybe stir the pot a little bit, as, I, as I'm known to do. Uh, but my grandma took the bait, much to her chagrin. And uh, we kind of sparred a little bit, you know, kind of playfully starting out. But things escalated very quickly, uh, super quickly, on both sides. And got, things got pretty animous. Um, initially, I'm not sure how we went from the joke to her kind of joking response to it to where we ended up. But at the end of the day, like at the end of this argument, I was kind of pointing to what's going on at the border and the people that are being detained, specifically the kids that are being separated from their families and not being treated well, even, even as if you know, just being separated from your families wouldn't be enough. And my grandma's response, which this is where I started seeing red, was they have it better now than they've ever had it. And I just lost it. I mean, at this point, I, I do mean to say that I, I really started to see red at this point. Like, I just was like, okay, well, we're done now. Like, I'm just going to let you have it. I'm powering up. I'm going to let every bit of my rage out on you. I don't want to see you next week for Thanksgiving. We do this thing at my family dinners on people's birthday where we all go around the table. We call it the heart seat. Everybody around the table tells the person whose birthday it is one thing that we love about them. And I'm like, man, I don't know if I've got it in me tonight. 
We can't go there. And so just in like a matter of five to seven minutes, Mallory can attest to. It was very quick at the beginning of dinner. I didn't wait until the end. The very beginning of dinner, the very beginning of our time together, we had gone from me kind of jokingly trying to stir the pot to me really wanting to try to help her to see something that was wrong to me just wanting to crucify her and her being my enemy. And just in a matter of minutes, we went from there to there. Like I said, at the end of the night, I, didn't, I, I told my mom, I'm not sure Thanksgiving is a great idea. I'm not sure we should all be together. On the, on the ride home, Mallory asked me if I wish I had done anything differently. <laughs> it's, it's a fair question. <laughs> and I thought about it, and I, was, I, I found myself very quickly uh, at, a, at a false crossroads, right? The false dichotomy of like, well, we can either get together for Thanksgiving and just pretend everything is nice, like this never happened, and let's just not talk about politics together. Uh, or, next time I see Grandma, I'm going to let her have it again. And I, I genuinely do not believe that either of those are true. That's not the way that I, I don't want to live either of those ways, but I feel like I was confronted with that choice. I didn't have an imagination beyond that. And maybe you feel this way too in some, some areas of life, especially now. Maybe you've been watching the, the impeachment testimonies going on. You're getting really bent out of shape. I'm getting on Twitter and seeing what people are saying. Maybe you watched the Democratic debate this past week and you saw some of the division there faced towards another division. Maybe it's just being on Twitter, period, or Facebook. Maybe it's a boss or a pastor who tries to use you as a tool in their tool belt instead of as a person or the people around them. Maybe it's broken relationships in your life where you see this. Or somebody hurt you. They, they violated something. They've, they broke a trust. And they did something that was authentically wrong. Maybe you've suffered abuse in some way. Genuine brokenness and abuse at the hands of someone else. And that person, you have no other choice other than to categorize them as an enemy, right? Well, in the midst of a world that either makes, that either attacks or avoids those that they disagree with, Christ's reign is love. Your inheritance as his people is a kingdom that is beyond enemies. You're empowered to confront injustice without dehumanizing the other. You have no enemies, church. Sometimes we tell ourselves that if we don't attack first, they're going to attack us anyways. So we might as well just get it out of the way. I don't want to be the one that gets injured here, so I better do some injuring. Maybe that's just me. (laughs) Sometimes it's just too uncomfortable, especially at Thanksgiving or Christmas, or name your holiday, somebody's birthday, or maybe a combination of the two. It's just too awkward to bring this up. We disagree. The conversation's not going to go anywhere. So I'm not going to talk about this thing. And we're just going to pretend that nothing is happening between us. And sometimes you're just right. Sometimes it's black and white. Maybe you were literally hurt or abused by somebody. It's not a gray area. They did something wrong, and they knew they did something wrong to you. No matter where you're at right now, no matter what your experience has been, I think we often find ourselves falling into two, two ditch, one of two ditches. Either we just can't talk about it, or that person disagrees with me, so they can go to hell. We either duck or dominate 
or demonize the people that we disagree with or who have hurt us. We, we call it sometimes here in DNA, you can either check out or hang out or call out. And we often find ourselves prone to enter into one of those different quadrants of how we respond to situations. My personal favorite is call out. None of these, none of these is a gospel response. None of these is Christian redemption. None of these is kingdom life. None of these is part of the reign of Christ. In the midst of a world that either attacks or avoids those that they disagree with, Christ's reign is love. Your inheritance as his people is a kingdom that is beyond enemies. You are empowered to confront injustice without dehumanizing the other. You have no enemies, church. Our first two texts that we read today were Jeremiah and then Luke. And they were both before Christ, but they're both telling of his coming, right? They're talking about a king that's coming to finally set things right, to bring justice to an unjust world. In Jeremiah, there's even a mention of revenge. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I'll raise up a righteous descendant from David's line, and he will rule as a wise king. He will do what is just and right in the land. The king that is coming to set things right is King Jesus. In Luke, it says, He has raised up a mighty Savior. He's brought us salvation from our enemies and from the power of all those who hate us, rescued from the power of our enemies. Now, when I read that outside of the context of Jesus, the king that it's foretelling about, the, the song With God on Our Side by Bob Dylan pops in my head. Because it sounds like to me that God is raising up a Savior that's going to be on my side finally, on the side of me and what's right and what's just. And that means that all those who oppose those viewpoints are an enemy that are going to be conquered or dominated or demonized. But the king that's coming to set things right is Jesus. So we have to read these texts through the lens of Jesus. Colossians says that the Son is the image of the invisible God. If you're wondering what God looks like, he looks like Jesus. In verse 19 of Colossians 1, it says, All the fullness of God, all the fullness of God was pleased to live in him. And then we get to the gospel reading for today, which is Christ's coronation. It sounds more like a parody of coronation, though. It's not in a palace. It's not in some grand national cathedral. It's at the place of the skull. On either side of him, Jesus is surrounded by criminals or evildoers, not by royalty. He's stripped instead of enrobed, and his clothes are gambled for. He's surrounded by a crowd, but they're jeering at him, not cheering. They mockingly call him the king. If anybody in this world has an enemy, Jesus had an enemy at this moment. He was surrounded by enemies. He was mocked and stripped and beaten and murdered. But in the midst of it, he's praying for those that are murdering him. What does it mean to pledge allegiance to a king like this? It's so ingrained in our bodies, in our culture, to scapegoat the other, to make enemies of the other, that even on the cross, I think it's fascinating to look at the thieves on either side of Jesus. One guy is being crucified beside him. He's on his way to dying for something that he did. And still there's something in his bones that tells him, hey, if I mock this guy, it's going to make me feel at least a little bit better about myself right now. There's, the lie is so thoroughly ingrained in us that we think it's making it another, making someone the other or demonizing them 
or dehumanizing them, we think it's going to make us feel better. Even at the point of death here, we see. Three times Jesus is mocked and told to reveal his power if he is truly who he says he is. And three days later, he would show his power to save, but not in the way that they expected, not in the way that we often expect or wish he would. Instead of wielding violence like a tool to get things done, Jesus submits himself to a violent death. He absorbs human violence on himself. Instead of powering up to have his way, he lays his power down on behalf of the other, on our behalf. When Jesus wants to enact justice, he doesn't let others have it. He lets them let him have it. And what does it mean for us to call someone like this Lord? What does it mean for us to submit ourselves to that lordship, to the rulership of Christ? In the midst of a world that either attacks or avoids those that they disagree with, Christ's reign is love. Your inheritance is, as his people is a kingdom that is beyond enemies. You are empowered to confront injustice without dehumanizing the other. You have no enemies, church. I think there's one way of hearing this message and reading these scriptures that's just all about shame. That it can make you feel bad about the last time you accosted your grandmother on her birthday. <laughs> but this is, this is really a consciousness issue. It's not just a morality issue. It's not a behavioral adjustment that you can just tweak and change. It's the way that you see the world. And it reminds me of our daughter Cameron is four, which is a a really fun age, but it's this awkward thing that happens when a kid is around three or four years old where they, they literally cannot fathom having more than one friend at a time. And so on a daily basis, she comes home from pre-K, and so-and-so is not her friend anymore. This person is her friend now. And to us, Mallory and I, you know, obviously we know there's always room for more friends in your life. You don't have to say that this person's not your friend anymore. This is, you know, not a, this is not how you want to engage. But She's four years old, and we see her as being a four-year-old that's learning. We know that she's not always going to see that way. We see it as our job to invite her in to a different way of seeing the world, a different reality. And so God isn't up in heaven right now looking down on you for accosting your grandmother or berating your Democrat or Republican friends, just wishing you would get your act together. He's lovingly looking at you seeing that you're, you're seeing the world through different eyes than what are the eyes of the kingdom. But he's inviting you into that perspective, into that reality. He's not shaming you for believing you have enemies, but he is inviting you into a kingdom that is beyond enemies. In the midst of a world that either attacks or avoids those they disagree with, Christ's reign is love. Your inheritance as his people is a kingdom that is beyond enemies. You are empowered to confront injustice without dehumanizing the other. You have no enemies, church. I've been meditating on this truth all week. It's a great week to be preaching, obviously. This, this uh, argument hap having happened only on Tuesday. And uh, I, I believe that God has really been encouraging me to continue the conversation with her uh, in love. Not to... Just give her a hug and tell her I'm sorry on Thanksgiving and then not talk about it, you know. Just talk about the Colts. Just talk about basketball. But to apologize for powering up, for leveraging my power and violence and for holding hatred in my heart in that moment. 
but to not shy away from confronting what I see as being an, an unjust thing. Each of you have experienced this in different ways. It could be something that feels very trivial. We can go there very quickly and make somebody an enemy of ours. Like the guy that lives across the street from you, but he keeps kind of blocking your driveway by parking oddly. <laughs> or it can be, a, you know, a level beyond that where you just are really getting into it with your grandma. Or it can be that you literally have, there's no way of defining this relationship other than animus. Someone has hurt you in a deep way. You feel that they've beaten and abused you. They've torn you down. You feel stripped and wounded. And they knew what they were doing. And even still in that situation, you are empowered to confront injustice. But without being weighed down by the poison of hatred. Where do you need to hear this good news today? Who are your enemies? Is it your grandma? Maybe it's your father or your mother, your brothers or your sisters you haven't talked to in a while. Maybe it's just the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. Maybe it's Russia or Ukraine. Who hurts you? In the midst of a world that either attacks or avoids those they disagree with, Christ's reign is love. Your inheritance as his people is a kingdom that is beyond enemies. You're empowered to confront injustice, but without dehumanizing the other. You have no enemies, church. We're going to respond today by praying together. Marissa's going to come up and lead us in that, but one of the ways that we're going to respond, as always, is by coming to the table of Christ and by receiving his broken body and his shed blood. Everybody here is at different points. You may feel like you've got a trivial enemy that you need restoration for, something that's lightweight that you feel almost embarrassed to say that you have made an enemy of somebody. But there are deep wounds in this room today. There are deep hurts. And this is not a, a one-size-fits-all one response. You can come to the table of Christ and allow him to work in your heart and in your mind and in your body. Let him heal those wounds. Maybe you need to feel empowered to confront injustice. Maybe you need to go from here and actually have a conversation. Or maybe you just need to be healed. But all of us need freed from the lie that we do have enemies. Marissa's going to lead us in responding to this good news today.